Hey everybody, it's Ron from the Nerd Life Crisis Podcast Network, here to talk to you today about SpinWiz Comics. SpinWizComics.com is an indie comics discovery platform. It's designed to help comic book readers find new content, with over 60 publishers and over 400 different comic titles to choose from, and growing every week. Most of the content right now is free to read, but there are options available to purchase PDFs and support creators you read the most. And right now, as part of the promotion, IB Comics is offering the first four issues of Grace, free to read. And for all you music fans out there, the first 28 pages of Legba's Juke Joint Volume 1. You can read all of these for free at spinwizcomics.com. So if you're a content creator out there, check it out. It's a no-hassle platform whose core goal is to help with awareness, to essentially take your comic book and put it out there for new readers. It's as easy as uploading a couple of PDFs, toss them into a Dropbox or Google, and within a day, your stuff will be online and available for purchase or for new readers to check out. SpinWizComics.com. Check it out today. Welcome to Fix It in the Mix, the podcast about the real music business. As always, I'm your host, Chris Thayer. Today, I'm sitting down with Albert Margolis. I'm here in the beautiful Inland Blue Studios, and Albert is actually um, calling in. And uh, we are doing this remote because that's the way things got to be done right now. So, Albert, thanks for uh, agreeing to sit down and do this with me. Oh, you're very welcome, and thanks for the uh, the nod to the social distancing. Well, you know, I mean, th- that's the reality of where we are, and uh, you know, I think we we are fortunate enough at uh, at Nerd Life Crisis Podcasts that um, we just invested in a couple of boards so that we can do these kind of phone in interviews, and uh, I mean, that's great, perfect timing. Um, so I, you know, well, even, absolutely. even like I was watching uh, The Walking Dead and they have their after show where they talk about the episode and they were all doing it through like Skype or Zoom or whatever uh, service they were using. So, I mean, it, that's kind of just the way of the world for the next month or two, you know, hopefully. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see. So um, we talked a little bit, uh, but basically the concept is uh, with this show, um, I usually start out with just kind of a simple question and I find the answers are pretty varied. Um, but I think it's pretty consistent that everybody sort of feels like they didn't choose the music business, that it sort of chose them. So the question is, um, how did you get started in the world of, you know, music in in any facet? Sure. Sure. Well, for me, yeah, it was exactly that. It chose me and really at an early age i mean my family's very musical my uh, gosh my grandmother used to sing on the radio in new york and oh. my dad is a trumpet player and um uh my cousin toured all over the world as a bass player and uh so and even you know sibling wise i my my siblings are much older than me i was the uh, supposedly the planned one they were the right. they were the oopsies and uh, but it's like a, a 12 to 15 year difference so uh, my oldest brother uh, and oldest and my sister were always playing music around the house um, often as my my brothers would babysit me they would lay me down in front of the console stereo put on a beatles record or you know uh, simon and garfunkel i'd fall asleep and then they would be able to, to have their girlfriends over That's and 
friends over. And so, yeah. So this went on for years and that, that's what I got weaned on. So it was only natural that I would, uh, I'd follow in the footsteps. I started playing guitar when I was about six or seven. My brother showed me some chords and then I was up and running. You know, from that point on, it was uh, as soon as the piano came in the house, I got the free lessons at nine and, and then, you know, very quickly transitioned into writing music uh, at that age. And then I've just been doing it ever since. It's just part of my DNA. Wow. And, and for those that don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, for those that don't know uh, what you do, you are basically a working musician at this point, right? Well, there is that. I've I've got a uh, I've got a career outside of music that uh, that feeds the family, and then music feeds my soul. And you know, I'm fortunate enough in that it allows me to pick and choose the music gigs that I want to do. And um, yeah, and so I feel very fortunate that that I can do that. And but my my and my day job is is related to the industry as well. So. Right. Um, it keeps me involved. Yeah. Are, are you able to talk about that at all? That what you do for the day? Games? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, some um, people are like, I can't talk about my job. Uh, yeah. No, I'd love to talk about it. I, I mean, I run sales and marketing for them. So, you know, my job is to talk about them right, right. Uh, at, any, at any given moment. So I appreciate the I appreciate the plug. Now, I work for a company called Link Studio Technology, and we build uh, some of the finest uh, audio interfaces in the world. And it's, um, yeah, it's a great group of guys and, and uh, some amazing gear. If you, if you guys ever well, do any this, recording. This isn't the, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go down and spend a couple hundred dollars on an interface type interface, right? Like no, it's sort of the other side of the world. Right. Yeah, it's 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 really it, it is super precise, um, incredibly transparent, and um, some of the most amazing recordings uh, come from come from Link's, Link's gear. I mean, I mean, gosh, the the new Selena Gomez record, and right. I could go on and on and on and on. Um, Post Malone has a, has three three units on that he takes on the road for all his ba- backup tracks because he wants everything to be super hi fi. Crazy. Um, yeah, the, the Smithsonian National Archives use our stuff because it's so transparent, and they want to make sure when they um, when they they archive the, these these old recordings that basically you get one pass of before they fall apart. Uh, that that it's you know it's in it's in history and is in very pristine condition, and, right. and it takes our stuff takes really good care of it sonically. Oh, that's yeah. that's awesome stuff, man. I I know I see you at uh, the Nam show every year, and uh, Kelly and I have been been uh, helping out at the Heil Sound booth. And yep. uh, we always see you um, kind of over there and, and you're always busy over there. It seems <laughs> like every time we go by, you're the one that's, you know, always engaged with somebody asking about the product. So it's it's definitely not well, a, I love- a secret anymore. I love talking. You know, I love talking to people. I've, uh, that's probably what gravitated me towards sales and marketing. But it's really no different than performing, right? You're on a stage, you have right. an audience, and you get to get the, an idea across. So in a sense, it's very similar, very, very similar. You use a lot of the same, I think, parts of the brain, um, certainly from the improv- improvisational standpoint, and then uh, right. you know, just re- learning to relate with people. It's just, uh, yeah. It's, that's, you know, that's really interesting. I've, I never really thought of the connection between the two. But yeah, as a musician, you are absolutely a salesperson. Uh, whether you are selling yourself or you're selling the idea in the song or, you know, whatever it is, selling the merchandise that you have over at the table next to the next to the stage. I mean, it, it, it is a lot of sales. Uh, right. Because in its I think it's in its essence, sales is just getting people to nod their heads in agreement. Right. And so if it's an, an agreement of your idea, if it's an agreement of your melodic uh, construction, if it's, uh, you know, an agreement to the way you look, whatever it may be that you're trying to sell uh, in that instance. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. 
Well, and uh, yeah, I, I think I'll just leave it at that. I think you said it perfectly. <laughs> um, so backtracking a little bit. Um, sure. You started playing on guitar first, right? That's correct. Okay. Do you remember what kind of guitar it was? Just for the, the it was a Stella. So yeah, it was my mother's old Stella that that uh, got handed down to me. My brother had a at that time. I would think it was a Martin D12 that that got stolen. That's another story. But oh. <laughs> my, yeah, out of the back of his car. But he learned to quickly not to do that. Um, and it was. I remember the action was so horrible. It was so hard to play. But you know what? It made my fingers really strong, really fast. I built up calluses really fast. Yes. And um, but Same that for yeah, me. It was that. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I don't know what ever happened to the guitar, but, and then eventually I got a nylon string when I was about 13 and then, uh, then eventually an electric and yeah, I was on my way. Oh, that's great, man. So at what point did you start playing piano? It seemed like that there was always like in school, there was always a piano and I was able to sit down and just plunk things out. And I don't know what that is or anything, but it just seemed like that was the case. And I remember in about had to have been first or second grade, uh, one, one holiday season, one Hanukkah showed up was this, uh, was one of those little organs, those little GE organs that have maybe an octave and a half. And there's yeah. a, there's a fan inside, you know, it's blowing reeds and mm-hmm. you got cords on the left. And I remember that thing showed up once and that was like, that was so cool. Did um, that have the little, uh, the little, uh, rhythm stuff inside the little, it didn't have that, but what okay. it did have were, were like five, five or six black buttons on the left. I think it was, um, it had to be major, minor, augmented, augmented, diminished, or something. Oh, okay. And I remember almost like an accordion, right? It was right. sort of set up like an accordion. Probably was a was d- devised from that. Because now that I think about it, it's blowing air. It's got reeds. It's got the black keys on the left, and you got the piano keys on the right. And that's funny. And. It was really cool because I remember playing around with the chords going, oh, yeah, this goes here. This sounds like that Beatles song. That's what he did there. And oh, all of a brilliant. sudden sort of harmonic ideas started coming up and I started writing music. It was like instantaneous. So do you still write uh, at this point? Oh, or? I'm writing more now, of course, with the time on my hands. Well, but, of course. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I made a conscious decision about six months ago to take a um, uh, a writing for for a licensing course, oh. and it's uh, it it the the bulk of it just ended in February, but there, it's ongoing. There's a there's a legacy portion of it, and so one of the things it's done for me is it's it's sort of forced me to write a lot more than I have been and focus on it and develop things, um, and then as a part of that course, one of the one of the um, sort of mentors has this uh you have to write a song every week and submit it group right and so you have to at least have a four verse and a chorus uh what she'll do is in the beginning of the week on a monday she'll throw out a a theme of some sort and then by sunday at midnight you have to turn it in that's and it's got to be you know it could just be something on pro tools or you could do do it just on piano or guitar or whatever um but you got to get it in and everybody comments on everybody else's very supportive group it's it's very cool by the way if you miss the the deadline you're kicked out of the group for three weeks wow you can you can observe but you can't submit so that's that's the incentive (laughs) it is it's totally hardcore (laughs) but it's great because i'm you know i got a bunch of ideas that i haven't coming up all the time right it's it's awesome that that you're um you know, writing a lot of stuff and uh, and still pursuing original stuff, um, but that's not really your main gig at this point. You you are playing with a lot of uh, cover and tribute bands, right? Yeah, I sure am. I've got um, a, a couple different things going on. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that I get to, as I mentioned before, I get to pick and choose. 
Um, you know, I think the trick is really, <laughs> as I might have mentioned, is, you know, show up with a smile on your face, show up sober and show up on time. Uh, well, yeah, prepared. that helps for sure. <laughs> yeah, it does. And people ask you back, as it turns out. Um, but yeah, not because of that, gets it, that. Like, <laughs> I can't tell you how many players I've played with. It's like, hey, we're playing at a little brewery and we're going to go have free drinks all night. And it's like, yeah, but after the first set, you sound like shit. <laughs> you know, why, <laughs> what, what, you're here to work, dude. You're not here to just, you know, have a party. If you want to do that, do it at home. So, yeah, I get a well, lot exactly. of and maybe I shouldn't let the secret out, right? Because right now it's keeping me, uh, it's keep, well, except for the this well, recent uh, thing, it's keeping me busy. No, that, but, but, uh, <laughs> dude, it ain't going to matter. They're still going to do what they do. You ain't got nothing to worry Good. about. You ain't losing As any they gigs. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, the, yeah, so there's the, um, uh, I've got an original project called the Great North Special. Oh, okay. Um, and that was born out of actually a, a cover situation. Uh, a friend of mine had gotten called to do the, the sawdust festival and he, he brought together um, 15 to 20 local musicians to just play in a huge band. We had two, gosh, we had two drummers, a percussionist, uh, three guitar players, a, a steel player, a bass player, a guy played accordion. Wow. At one point there were two keyboard players. Um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And we just had so much fun. It was a blast. We that just did everything. From, yeah, we did. It pulled all kinds of things out of our hat and no rehearsal. Just, you know, what do you know? Let's play this one. Um, and the audience just loved it. It was like um, Mad Dogs and the Englishman. That was that was the idea. Right. So uh, I don't know if it would that'd be viable to take on the road, but boy, would it be fun. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but the main guy, Andrew Cordini, he's um, a singer songwriter. He uh, from that he picked about six of us and formed a band which we call the uh, Great North Special. It's a it's an homage to well the name is an homage to the grateful dead but we're mainly originals we've just we've got an ep that's done oh, uh, being mixed as, yeah it's being mixed right now we're going to get it mastered shortly here with the uh, mayor applebaum in oh, hollywood nice. and yeah we're we're psyched we're psyched this the music is a, is americana but it is uh you know leans towards the jam band thing but um not too noodly <laughs> right well i mean that's that's, a, that's the key that's pretty huge. You know, the, the jam band thing is, is, uh, kind of where a lot of the really creative stuff is happening. Um, because it's I mean, such a great scene. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And everything is so cookie cutter in popular music right now that for people who want something a little bit, you know, more, that seems to be where a lot of players are going. I mean, even John Mayer, you know, has well, kind of go. gone that Perfect. route. Perfect example of a guy who's and he's still doing both. Right. You know, he's still doing his pop albums and he's still touring with the Grateful Dead. Um, So, you know, bless his heart. And he's doing a great job in both both arenas. Uh, It's just. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Yeah. I have a lot of friends that are not fans of John Mayer and a lot of criticism. Like he doesn't sound like anybody. You know, he sounds like everybody. He doesn't have his own sound. I'm like, I don't know, dude. Listen to his records. Like he's got something that that a lot of like nobody else has his kind of. uh, songwriting talents uh maybe if he's playing blues you know he he doesn't necessarily sound unique but have a voice right but i think you know who does i mean it's got to be something that you develop and you devote yourself to to come up with something unique and that's really hard to do it is because a lot of it is so derivative right um, by the nature of the the genre right so but but I, you know, he's he's a guy who's transitioned over, and there's a handful of other guys too. It's it's interesting. The um, what's the band Vampire Weekend? Right. Um, 
I just heard the uh, song Exploder uh, on them, and uh, and I forget the guy's name, the the lead singer, and also the the main songwriter. But this last hit that they had, um, if you listen to it towards the end, there's a lot of what I would consider Jerry Garcia isms in that. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, he and I found this out just through digging around the internet a little bit because I was really fascinated by his whole songwriting process. Um, it turns out his buddy from college or high school that they had open up this last tour was in a jam band and opened him up the the main singer from from vampire weekend to the whole grateful dead thing he had avoided it for years as did i frankly i only got into them in the last few years um but yeah so i think that that influenced what they did with the end of the song if you listen to where especially what the piano does and there's this little noodly guitar thing and um anyway just um it's 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 always there and that whole scene is cool because it's very supportive yes uh first time i'd gone the only time i gone went to a grateful dead show was the last show they did at irvine and to see the whole scene and the whole shakedown street and i was just like i understand now i get why people give up their lives and go on the road with these people and become you know this whole this whole microcosm it's it's incredible yeah and i i totally understand why dave matthews band fans get a small taste of that and become huge yeah. fans of that band as well so yeah. it's the same energy um, exactly and and fish and i have a buddy yeah. from from college that joined um uh, string cheese incident oh great uh, band. well help, yeah kyle the, the keyboard player we used to we used to take classes together and um and trade gigs and stuff but anyway he's yeah he's embraced that whole thing and he's he's a wonderful player uh, as well but they have the thing about string cheese and kyle was telling me this years ago that they had you know they they bought they started their own travel agency so not only were they selling their own tickets booking their own shows selling their own records they have their they have their own record label which they even signed stevie winwood i mean it gives you some sense yeah, it's crazy. SCI Records, um, but they they owned everything. Brilliant. I mean, brilliant. Oh, yeah. Who needed the Who needed the establishment when they could create this whole this whole business model? But that's where we're at. I mean, you've got you've got people making now. albums in their bedrooms, and you know yeah. you've got Iron Maiden, the lead singers flying them on their tour on their own plane. I mean, yeah. that's just be, the the business. I feel like made it so hard for musicians to make a living that they just started doing it for themselves, you know? Yeah, they had to. Yeah. They had to adapt. Yeah, I think that's the reality. You know, and it's like I talk to young kids who are, you know, I'm going to go and get a record deal. I'm like, why? You've got everything you need at your fingertips, and you're young, so you are tapped into social media. You already have a following, you know? Uh, You you don't need a major label anymore because they're, they're really not doing anything other than giving you some contacts, you know, putting you in right. touch with some some uh, some name people, but it's like right. the world of music has changed entirely. Uh, it's very DIY, and you know, there, the I think the idea is to figure out what you're good at. Uh, right. Do that yourself. If you have to hire on somebody or bring somebody yes. on to help you with different facets of it, and especially, you know, as things start getting getting bigger and busier, um, you know, it's it's always good to delegate. Right. Uh, know what you don't know. Exactly. Right. So Which not to, to switch gears here, but sure. uh, I, I like to find out kind of a perspective. Um, is Of all the gigs that you've played, is there a gig that you would say, yeah, this was probably my favorite gig? Like, this was the best it's been in the music business for me. Wow. Well, the one that the one that pops into mind and, and it's 
probably one of the biggest too. But but it was it was the the greatest for for me personally on a, for a lot of levels was first time I played the uh, New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Oh well, yeah. Uh, Anybody <laughs> who's played that, I mean, or even gone to it, knows how huge that is. Well, I, I went to it before and then uh, and then played it. So. You know, back up a few years. I when I first moved to uh, Southern California, uh, originally from the D.C. area, okay. uh, Maryland, and um, uh, when I first moved out here, I picked up a recycler and and I so I got to find a band because I was playing yeah. the original band out, the out there. And, yeah, it was actually it was Kyle's old original band, but I I ended up being the keyboard player for many years. The long story short, uh, found this guy, bass player. We became instant buddies. He's from New York, and we okay. played in a bunch of bands together. And he said, hey few years into this he said hey you know what a buddy of mine is from new orleans he's this, this drummer and he's playing this band um and i might he talking about himself have right. an audition um and it was for this guy leo nocentelli from the meters and i didn't know who the meters what were. yeah i know i had no idea although i had been influenced by them because i was a big well, little right. feet fan right but um yeah i didn't know and uh so anyway a few months into it he, he was started playing doing some gigs going to san francisco playing up and down the coast and he said, hey, we're having some issues with the keyboard player. Learn this tape. We don't know when the shoe's going to drop. Well, sure enough, there was, a, there was a string of gigs in San Francisco. I got a call. They said, hey, we're going to San Francisco. You need to come. The other guy can't do it. Great. So I got the gig. No wow. audition. No audition. <laughs> no audition. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, well, I really guess at that three... level, it's like they ain't going to call somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. Well, they they were going on on the, the because I'd already played with the drummer and the bass player right. before, and so they they vouched for me, and it was their butt if if I couldn't play. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, we we go we go up there, and uh, we were in the hotel, and Leo's like, you know, break out your stuff, let's run through some material. Just I think he wanted to check me out, make sure right. that he I really could play, and that I did know the material, and I did. There was some. He's what, what it basically consisted of was was a bunch of meter songs and then a bunch of meter songs reimagined. Okay. Uh, and then there was a bunch of new stuff that he had written since then. Oh, cool. In the same vein, but maybe a little more. I don't want to say fusion esque, but it 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 definitely had some rhythmical uh, right. complexity to it. Right. Even more so than the meter stuff. And so there were some things I had to make sure that you know lines and stuff that I had to do. Um, Anyway, so I, I did, we did all that and, uh, I passed, I passed that audition and I've been playing with them ever since on and off. Oh. Um, in fact, we're supposed to play this New Orleans jazz fest that just got postponed. Oh. Well, I mean, um, it, it's, but it's, it's gonna, still going to happen. It'd just be later. It's exactly, exactly. looks like October, which is fine. Well, it might give me um, a chance to go to this one again. I, I can't wait. I can't wait because <laughs> um, he's got a record coming out. It's oh, man, he's got this killer record coming out. So he's been recording probably the last six or seven years uh, mm. this record, which finally he got a deal. He held out till he finally got a decent deal. Right. Um, and it's duets. But he's got guys like Dr. John that's no longer with wow. us. He's got um, he's got George Duke, who's no longer with us. He's got uh, Peter Gabriel, who's worked with. Right. Um, because Leo did the the uh, the guitar parts to Steam and Kiss the Frog and right. a few other things, um, through through Daniel Lenoir and the, and the back to the Neville Brothers and everything. Right. So, um, but he, he had Peter do the vocals on this one song, which and the funny story is, so when I knew this was going down, and Peter's like my idol, he's oh, okay. my idol, man. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the one that you know I I, I get starstruck even thinking about ever meeting the guy. But uh, when this was going down, I said I said Leo, you gotta let me play finger snaps triangle 
whatever. I got to be on this track, man. I just right. got to go to my deathbed knowing. So anyway, we're in the studio recording some other tracks for the album. And he said, you know, I need a, I need a choir. Can you do a choir? And I happened to have this Nord that had a really cool choir. And so I, I gave him a choir thing. And, and so it made the track. And Peter did all the other keyboards and did the vocals. And um, it, it's, awesome. it's, a cool, it's a cool, funky track, which is it's definitely Peter Gabriel. So he sent the track to Peter. Peter sent back some vocals. And it was going back and forth. And finally, Leo goes, I'm, I'm going to real world. I'm going to record. I'm got, we're going to cut these vocals at real world. And so he, he sent me pictures. He's got, he went to, went over to, to Bath, England and did the, cut the vocals there. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a cool track, but what's really interesting about this record is he's got, you know, Harry Connick, he's got uh, Kurt Wellum. He's got, um, yeah, a bunch of different, a bunch of different guys. It was supposed to come out in May, right about the time as jazz fest. And it may still come out in May or maybe they'll hold, hold it till, till yeah. October now, but it's going to be, uh, hand in hand. The other part that's also interesting is that, so when Katrina hit, a uh, bunch of studios obviously got flooded. Yeah. And back in, down in New Orleans, and there were masters that were ruined. I uh, mean, ma- as well as gear and everything else. Right. Turns out there was a rec- uh, I think it was a country record that Leo did, and back in the seventies, of course, totally forgotten. Whatever. Yeah. Um, some dude. <laughs> rescued a bunch of master tapes and brought them out to a brought them out here to LA and sat them in a um uh, a storage facility. Right. Then I guess maybe the guy didn't pay rent or something and the stuff in the storage facility went on auction. What? This other yeah, so this other guy happens to go to a yard sale in Encino and finds this box of tapes. Get out of Dodge. If, I don't know if you read the article in the LA Times. No, but I didn't. Yeah. So so there's this box of tapes that um, that has these masters, and one of them was this was this Nocentelli. I don't think it was a meters thing, but it was a Nocentelli record that never came out. Well, it finally made its way back to Leo. Uh, I think BMG got wind of it, and so this record and the duet record are going to come out at the same time. That's awesome! What a crazy <laughs> yeah. story! Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> And who knows what other uh, what else was in that box? Right, I, mean, I can only imagine. Right. There's probably Doctor John and all kinds of stuff. Of course, can yeah. you imagine the the type of stuff that would just be on the shelves that never got released oh. in New Orleans? I know. Just the I know. music Talk that happens there twenty four seven. You know, it's in the water. I, I'm I'm determined. It's in the oh, water. Well, I think that's what makes the beignets so good because they're no good out <laughs> yeah. here. So, so jazz fest would be your, your, uh, best gig. How about this? Yeah. Is there one that is your worst gig that you can think of? Like the nightmare gig. Usually that's an easier one to come up with. Well, I, d- I mean, there was a recent, we did this recent, uh, ultimate stones gig where okay. the, st- the singer had laryngitis. Oh in no. He, it was horrible. It was, we had to play. We had to go on, oh. and it wasn't as if anybody else could sing. I mean, we have this wonderful, wonderful backup singer, this 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 woman, Julie Harris, who's just ridiculous. And we thought about just letting her sing everything from the female perspective because right. she can kill it. She's a crazy rock singer, too. Right. Um, but it would have so last minute. Anyway, we went on, and we did it, and it was... It was uh, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty horrible. I've I've had some yeah. moments as a vocalist like that, where it's like uh, the notes they always seem to open up and you make it through, except for that one time 
And it's like nothing you do is going to make those notes come out. You're just done. You're cooked. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm surprised you guys don't have like a, a a sub that can come in on something like that. Well, we do. We have. We know all the. We know all the the mix in the right. certainly in the area, and uh, most of them we we were happy to work with. Um, and so, but it was such short notice. We right. thought up until the point that maybe he could. You know, it was like that day he got sick. Right. So, but bless his, bless his heart, man. You know, his, his name's Jim Becker. Bless his heart. He he went on like a trooper, like a pro. Wow. And we, you know, we all went on with smiles on our faces and just, you know, tre- trudged through it. Was the crowd that was probably, pretty understanding? I think so. I think so. I mean, the band, you know, fortunately, the band itself is rocking and we do right. hit everything note for note and we sound, you know, it sounds great. And, um, of course, it's the stones. You got to have a Mick. You got to have a good right. Mick, but right. you know, and re- all the rest of the times we do that night, we didn't. <laughs> That's nutty. So this is kind of a stupid question because I, I feel like the, you've already answered this, but um, do you feel like you quote unquote have made it? Whatever that means. Yeah. What does that mean? So, you know, we talked about what that, what my original vision was back when I was, you know, dreaming about being that, Donny Osmond guy on stage with the lights right. and everything. And, you know, to me, that was, that was it, right. I just had to do that. And, and then as you morph and you change and you get older, you know, that, that, that made it, uh, ideal changes with it. Right. It's, you know, it's funny once, I think once I had that really, once I had that jazz fest experience and it's like, you know, God forbid I got hit by a truck the next day. And this is, this is all I, all I, all I brought to the table. Um, I would, I would be satisfied. So I, I, you know, but does, you know, once you make it, does that mean that you, that you stop trying? I don't know. I'm always trying. I'm always trying to evolve. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, starting this, uh, joining, you know, catch the moon, that, that sync writing course. Right. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the, um, song tribe where I have to write a song every, every week, you know, I'm still trying to make that. To me, that's the right. next step. If I can get some placements and, and uh, or when I get some placements, that's that's going to feel like another, you know, check check box that I can mark off. Right. So basically, you know, I my problem is that I am never satisfied. I keep trying to do these things. And as soon as I get bored, I, I find something else to try and improve. You know, I'll take a class or I'll go back and get a degree or some stupid thing like that. Right. No, but I, I think that's the sign of a real artist is that you are never going to be satisfied with what you've done, that you can always have a better performance or write a better song or whatever. They make a new album that's better than the last one. I think when you stop doing that, um, you know, it's like, then you become the, the guy who plays Vegas, you know, and, and nothing against those guys, but it, I never understood how artists could stop creating new stuff. Um, it just didn't make sense to me. Because I, I don't, maybe the well goes dry at some point, or you just don't see the point of it, or um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I mean, I see people, and there are people that I've grown up with that I can't believe have given it up because right. they had kids, or gave it up because they got married, or gave it up because you know. And these are truly talented, amazing writers and players. And I just, I don't know. As, as difficult as it was. Um, with all that, right? I mean, even when I went, when I went to New Orleans to to do Jazz Fest, my my it was a tough decision because we just had our second child. Right. Um, we're we're two weeks in. She's two weeks old. The day I left to go to New Orleans was the day that my mother in law left the house to go back to Maryland. And there's my wife with two kids and right. nobody. 
you know, um, we discussed it and I think it was a tough decision. Do I regret it? Not really. And I say right. not really because there's probably part of it that does. But, you know, there are people that have, anyway have just given it up and I don't I don't get that whole part of it. Yeah, I mean, for for a lot of people, it's 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 like oxygen. If you don't play, you don't feel right, you know. And exactly, and I think for um, a lot of musicians, they've got to be going absolutely bonkers not being able to do gigs right now. And uh, yeah, and, and I think you see that with the inundation of all the uh, the Facebook Live and the streaming concerts. Yeah. I mean, there there's a million of them going on. And it's cool because it's it's you're getting people out, uh, getting musicians out to people that may not see them otherwise. Uh, right. But but yeah, I mean, I, I feel for everybody that's kind of going through that. And yeah, it never made sense to me. Um, I, I've had a couple of guys that I've played with that just sort of they they decide, hey, you know, what, I'm going to go back to college and I'm going to sell off all my gear. I'm like, wait, what? How is that possible? So yeah, I I I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a period where, um, you know, I first moved out here, the, the wife and I had this uh, sort of idea that okay, five years we'll do our five years in California and we'll go back. So we moved back. Uh, I was working for um, Pro Sound News and EQ magazines at the time, and they were right. based in New York. And they said, hey, come on, you can you know you can commute in, blah blah blah. So we moved back to Jersey. I commuted in every day. And I didn't play any music. Just and here I am in New York, right? I'm right. just like a, a 20 minute train ride or whatever. And I just didn't. It was difficult by the time I got home to get gear to you know everybody I knew was in the city, and yeah. I don't know. It just didn't. It just didn't work. So um, I was itching. By the time we decided to, to move back, which we eventually did in about six months, we turned around. Right. right. Um, that I was just, I'm get, you know, I fell right back into the same groups and was like as if I never left. No, oh, that's cool. I just couldn't do it. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I understand 100%. Um, and I, I feel it too because I'm doing live streams every night. Um, so just a real yeah. quick for the gearheads, um, what, what is your music setup? Like what, do you, what, what boards are you playing? What are you using for you know, amplification? Sure. What do you got? I've been a, I've been a Kurzweil guy for years. Okay. Um, and I love I, from from my piano playing. I just love the way the, their eighty eight key uh, controllers feel and their pianos feel. So I use a PC three K eight. I was using a twenty six hundred prior to that, which is a great board, just friggin' heavy. Yeah. This is a few pounds lighter. It's still heavy, but um, doable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I that's my main. That does everything. Oh, that's except cool. for really. Yeah, I can do organ, um, but it does, you know, all the pianos, the electrics and the synths. It's it's a great all-around board. Right. Um, the other, then I use a Hammond uh, XK5, their new, their new top of the line. Yeah, the thing is killer, 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 killer. Love it. It's just got, it's got the thunk. I don't know what else to, to say. Yeah. I mean, I can go into the, the, the specs of it and why it's got it, but it, they've captured, they've really captured it on well, this one. As much as I love the Nord, and I do, I am biggest fan of the nord yeah you just can't beat that hammond you know? no you can't i mean it's, uh, it's the straight Nord's from the great. source I, 
Nord's great because you got you know you got everything at your fingertips. Right. Easy, jump in, make a switch. And one th- one knock on Kurzweil is that that at least with with the twenty six hundred and the uh, certainly on the PC threes, if I want to just bring down the verb a little bit, or if I want to increase, uh, <laughs> you know, pull off a little, do do some nuancey kind of adjustment right. on the fly. It's very difficult to do if it's, right. if it's not already set up to do it. There's menus and you know it's very deep. Um, the Nord and even some of the Yamaha is really easy to get around. But so I use the I use the XK5. I'm running it through a ventilator. That's my Leslie. Nice. Uh, that combination is just. Phew. I just recently got a Lounsbury preamp, which I love, and that just gives it a little extra, a little more thunk. Yes. So yes. It, it's you you come and hear my rig. It's it's pretty realistic. Um, I mean, if Backline will have a B3 and a Leslie, absolutely. But I'm not I'm not going to schlep one no. uh, anymore. And there are people yeah. that do that. I know it's crazy. I, I just can't imagine that big ass cabinet that you know. <laughs> just oh, it's crazy. I still got Leslie's. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's nice my, to have them at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use <laughs> them for recording. Um, my B three unfortunately went up in a in a studio fire about oh. six eight months ago. Yeah, I lost Jeez. my sixty one and had a Leslie and it was gone, gone, gone. Oh. Um, fortunately, nobody got hurt, thank God. But a bunch of equipment got burned, and yeah, it's a shame. Uh, but okay, it is what it is. And so, but getting back to your, <laughs> I'm going to change the subject because it really is kind of a big deal. I lost my, lost my Hammond, but, uh, the, um, amplification I'm using, uh, a QSC two of the 8.2s, the oh, K8.2s. Beautiful. Freaking killer. 30 yeah. pounds, 25 pounds a piece. I got, I got as much headroom as I ever need to compete with Leo on stage. And Leo's got, <laughs> Leo's got two uh, lone stars that he uses. Right. I can be louder than loud enough to hear myself, which is, you know, that's all I need. Right. And even on small venues, cause it's so, these things are so light and they're so crystal clear and they sound so flat and it, and in stereo with the, with the ventilator, it sounds like a Leslie. That's awesome. I just, I just love it. And a little Mackie eight, eight channel mixer. And uh, that's, that's it. Isn't you know? it amazing right now? How, affordable and lightweight everything is yeah i mean it's, it's really changed the game for touring musicians this whole this whole class d amplifier revolution is really with that and the neodymium um speakers that combination of stuff um and the qsc guys i mean bless pat quilter's heart man those yeah. guys have just you know nailed it with this uh with this series oh, yeah. of speakers they really have and it, I mean, there's some really good other choices out there. Well, I mean, even the like Yamahas Mark are wonderful. And, I mean, they're tiny and they're huge sounding. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, as more than ever, you know, as I'm starting to get a little longer in the tooth, you know, <laughs> the idea of schlepping a, a Marshall half stack just does not sound like it's feasible for me, you know? And right. same with the PA, you know, I don't want to bring a huge PA that, you know, you could fill a, a tractor trailer with. I get a couple of QSCs and, and maybe a small sub and I'm, I'm good to do a large show. You know, it's, yeah. it's pretty or not large, but you know what I'm saying? Um, it's pretty awesome what, what you can do and how affordable everything is at this point. It really, it really is. And even on the high end, you know, you've got stuff like some of the L acoustics and some of the, the higher end, um, Martins and stuff. Uh, you know, I mentioned about, about Post Malone. I went and saw their show when they came to uh, Honda and their, the whole idea behind their, their sound reinforcement is to make it as hi-fi as possible. I mean, they right. give these guys nice budgets. Uh, we worked really closely with the, with the production team there and they're, 
they have a, a spectrum analyzer that I was I was sitting at at, uh, at mix mix uh, point and I was you know behind the the front of house guy right. and um, they have a spectrum analyzer and you could see thirty two hertz just cranked up you could feel it too and so I was talking to him afterwards what what's going on they took the subwoofers these L-acoustic subwoofers and literally hung them from the speakers and they do this at every venue really? they don't want them to couple to, yeah they didn't want them to couple to the ground I mean this is how, how precise. Wow. Of a system that they had, yeah, it's 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 amazing. It was super loud. I thank God I had plugs. Well, but, yeah. Um, and you know, I almost uh, you know almost had to change pants because of the the thirty two hertz that was, was so loud. I was <laughs> I couldn't you know trying to control myself. But it was it was unbelievably unbelievably clear. Um, and that was part of the reason why they got the the Aurora is that are are the Lynx gear, but. It was just, it was amazing. And so even all the way through the high end, a lot of that is, is trickling down and they're using those technologies and the stuff we could afford. So it's a, it's really a good time to be buying sound, yeah. any kind of gear, I think. Oh yeah. No, um, it's, I just love in gear. every way I can imagine the, the playing field has been largely leveled and that it is the perfect time for somebody to get into making music. Yeah. In in every respect, recording, sound reinforcement, instruments, everything has been simplified and made simple or, or easy uh, to use. And accessible. Yeah, Everything's accessible. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, even, I'm excited for the up and coming kids that are that are starting to, you know, explore and seeing what they're going to come up with. It, you, know, you talk about the good old days, right? I don't want to sound like an old fart, no. but. I did. I remember the first time me and my buddy, uh, we were we were left alone with a with a little four track Tascam. Yes. And it was like it was badass because all of a sudden we could do you know we could record track over track. I'm like, oh my god! But kids today, you buy a Mac, you got GarageBand. How incredible is GarageBand for free? Right. And they keep right. you know it's almost logic. It's and almost it's the same same program, and it's on your phone. And you can, I mean, I've recorded stuff on the fly, on my phone, added tracks in the airport. It's, it's stupid. And then oh, you yeah. could take a laptop and a nice little, nice little, um, uh, nice little converter. And, you know, I just got one of these CME, um, uh, keyboards It's 25 key keyboards that are super light thing is killer. I take that everywhere I go. So if I need to compose, I got, you know, I've got pro tools, but I've also got logic. I've got all these instruments at my disposal in my laptop and this little, this little keyboard. That's and, so cool. um, it's it's incredible. Uh, yeah. I'm just you know it, if I had if I only had that when I was young, you know that whole thing. But right, I don't right. think you know to hope the, hopefully these kids realize the kids today. Oh, they don't realize what they, they don't. what they got. But I, but know. I think that's the beauty of it is for them this is the norm. They can't imagine recording with a four track recorder, like they can't exactly. even fathom it because this is their their playground that they're in right now. And I I think in a lot of ways that's very cool. And you do see the the odd kid. You know, picking up an old four-track recorder or whatever um, to try and figure right. out how that all worked. Be you know, all it's, it's like and stuff. Jack White, you know. Well, yeah, perfect example. Dude, is, silver dude is so hung up on antiquated <laughs> equipment, and and that's kind of like his thing. Let's let's that's use the, the stuff that yeah. barely worked and make something cool with it. Um, it's completely his vibe. Right, right, right. So, um, is there anybody that you have not played? How about, let's open it up even more than that. If you could jam yeah. with anybody, living, dead, whatever, is there somebody that comes to mind? Oh, man. I know, right? I mean... <sighs> doesn't even have to be keyboards. It could be anybody. 
I mean, cu- coming up as a kid, you know, it was it was Jethro Tull. It was yes, it was all that stuff. Right. Santana, all that stuff. I, I you know, I I, I got it. Don't know why I got to just point the finger at Peter Gabriel. I just he's the, he's the schniz man. Yeah. <laughs> Well, all the way around. I talked with somebody else and Hendrix came up and I'm like, okay, let's think about that for a second. Do you really want to jam with Hendrix? <laughs> I don't know that that would be a good time. I think it would be super loud and you know, you're not going to get anything in edgewise. So. Unless you're Mike Finnegan as a keyboard player. That'd be right. really cool. But other right, than that, you right, know, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think Peter Gabriel would be pretty awesome to collaborate with or even just sit be. down just, and jam with. Yeah, I, I just love his whole vibe, musically, uh, philosophically, the whole thing. So Talk just, about having you know. a signature sound. Yeah, the, nobody sounds like him. No. 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 And how his sound has evolved. I mean, you look, yeah. at, look at from Genesis on, and you watch that evolution, the first album, the second album, on and on and on, and how he's always pushing the envelope, pushing it, pushing it, trying new things, you know? Right, right. It's, uh, it's great. It's great. I, can't, I, just, I wonder what he's got up his sleeve next, you know? Excellent. And, can't wait so kind of uh coming along on this episode but i i definitely want to um get one last thing in sure because um, i mean we we definitely uh you and i are are on the on playing the back nine i'd like to say at this point like we're, we're no longer <laughs> those kids um how would you like to be remembered either as a musician or you know in in whatever sense um when when the game is over Wow. I know. I mean, it's if tough, I, right? Well, it's tough because you're thinking about mortality, and that's always a tough thing, no matter what age you're at. Right. Um, you know, if... Well, let's say you just stop doing music altogether. What yeah. would that legacy be for you? What would you like people to know about you? Well, my hope is that they, that I was able to to affect somebody musically. And I don't mean that they, they heard what I played and they were excited about it. I mean that they actually became a better musician because of something that I did. Yeah. And so maybe it was either something I taught them or the experience they had, you know, being in a musical situation with me or, you know, I, I, I would hope that was the case. I hope that I would have something that I could, I could, part, you know, pass on to somebody, um, you know, think about it like that. What is that? That is it an Irish, um, this is a really obtuse uh, analogy here, but <laughs> that Irish bread, right, where the where the bacteria goes for generations. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Um, if it was that, uh, of course, talking about bacteria is the today is probably not a good thing. But right. um, I get what you're saying. But you know, but you know what I mean. Some sort of DNA that I was able to to pass on musically to somebody else, even if it wasn't mine, but they learned it from me. Right. That no, I was I a conduit. I think that's super important. And I think um, most musicians feel that way, that that what they did, what they were able to do musically or something they created somehow inspired somebody else or or, you know, becomes internalized and becomes something else through that next person, like paint it forward in a sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that, important. I think it's important to me. You know, I'll give you an example. A few years back, I ran into Greg Rowley at NAMM, right? He was at the, he was at the, um, the Hammond booth and, and, uh, I saw him walking down the, 
the hallway. So I, you know, right away, I got to introduce myself to this guy. And I'm like, dude, I just got to tell you, I play Hammond because of you. I don't think he really cared too much no. in one way or the other. But I wanted him to know that that something he did was a legacy on, on me becoming a musician and the t- kind of musician that I am, that he had something to do with it. Um, you know, I was able to say the same thing to Bill Payne. Right. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have had lunch with him years ago. And I, you know, as much as I wanted to say, dude, do you give lessons? I would love to sit with him for hours and just, you know, right. that kind of thing. But right. I'd like to be that to somebody else. Right. All right. So I, I think that's probably a good place to wrap this up. Um, this obviously has been uh, another episode of Fix It in the Mix. Um, thanks again to Albert Margolis for taking the time to sit down and uh, talk about this business that we're both caught up in. Uh, thank you very much for uh, car- carving out a little time of your day. Uh, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. I'm glad, uh, honored to be a part of this. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Facebook. Uh, and by all means, tell a friend. And of course, go and subscribe to Fix It in the Mix on whatever you listen to podcasts on. Fix It in the Mix is recorded at Inland Blue Studios. Remember to subscribe to Fix It in the Mix on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This episode was brought to you by SpinWiz Comics. Please go and visit spinwizcomics.com.